If you have ever taken an acting class or an improv class or been on a college improv team or seen any of the comedy movies that have come out in, say, the last 30 years or seen any live theater inspired by the so-called Chicago style of Steppenwolf theater, um, then chances are you have experienced the work of Viola Spolin whose definitive, groundbreaking 1963 work, Improvisation for the Theater, set so many templates for the kind of theater and comedy we see today. She's a woman who needs to be more well-known, and thankfully, I get to talk to now Viola Spolin's granddaughter, Aretha Sills. Have I overstated her importance, Aretha, or... or (laughs) Am I right? I think that was a very nice introduction. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 684, Appreciating Viola Spolin. Aretha Sills is a writer and teacher and the associate director of Sills Spolin Theatre Works, which carries on the teachings of two theatrical giants, Aretha's father, Paul Sills, the founding director of both The Compass Players and Second City, and her grandmother, Viola Spolin, whose book Improvisation for the Theatre is a fundamental text for all actors and improvisers and a few directors and playwrights. Aretha was good enough to talk to me this week, and she started our conversation by agreeing with me that it's hard to overstate Viola's importance and lasting impact on what we do. I do think that um, she's really an originator of a field. And so, um, you know, there's there's so much of, um, you know, what she did was new has carried on into a bunch of different directions in the theater world, the improvisation world and the educational world, um, different kinds of therapies and modalities. You know, she, you know, uh, her, her work has really influenced a huge range of uh, wonderful things. I, of course, have known her work forever, being married to a second citizen, D. Ryan, who's also an <laughs> I- improviser yeah. and a teacher of improv. And 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 in talking to Mark Larson about his book Ensemble, it was he, it was he the one who said to me, you know, Viola's name should be spoken in the same breath as Stanislavski or Strasberg, or Stella Adler, or Meisner, as, a, as what you said, a, a creating an entire field uh, and methodology of not only theater work, but sort of therapeutic work? I mean, just, and, or uh, even life lessons. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely changed the way that we actually think about teaching theater um, uh, in, on many, many levels. Um, did she For stop? Sure. I agree, and and I do more and more hear her name as a school of acting in um, uh, along with those other great teachers, and and she was certainly very inspired by Stanislavski because that was the training she got in the theater. That was going to be my next question: Was did she come from a theater background? Was did she discover these as she was formulating her own ways of working in the theater? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. So she, the interesting thing about Viola, and I think why she's such an important figure, is because she um, she was a theater person and she was a social worker. And it was the combination of those two things that, and her need to teach um, theater uh, they, she, uh, to the average person, as she called it back then, <laughs> to kids. To recent immigrants, to the to the people, the communities that she was working with as a social worker, she was teaching dramatics to them, um, and uh, because of her lifelong interest in the theater, that um, she had to find a new way to do it because what um, the way she had been taught wasn't working. But she had her her she was basically a neighborhood kid. You know, her parents were Russian Jewish immigrants. Um, she was raised uh, in Chicago with very, very busy parents and a lot of siblings. And so she she just sort of came by her love of the theater accidentally. Her grandfather would take her to the opera. He was a Chicago cop, and she, he would be uh, on opera detail, like um, sort of moonlighting, making a little money guarding the opera house. And so she would get to watch some shows, and she just fell in love and uh, with uh, the props, the sets, all the, you know, the life of the theater, I, I think that she saw in the opera. And then all, as a kid, she would put on plays. And so she wasn't a person who it would naturally like, oh, go to college, study theater. She had to find her way. She had to, she had to sort of find her theater training, you know, and she did. She, um, she managed to get theater training, even though her grades weren't good enough in high school to get into drama class <laughs> um, because she was more interested in sports. After high school, Viola went and studied with Neva Boyd, who was a teacher of group work, which we would now call social work. And she actually became, she's a very important figure in social, in, in social work history and socially in how she influenced the training of social workers. So from uh, Neva Boyd, who was at Hull House in Chicago, but also she taught out of her own apartment she had a recreational training school and she would train um, mostly young women to go out and work with groups in the community um, as social workers. But what they were really learning was play. They were learning games, storytelling, folk dancing, um, every kind of traditional children's game from around the world. And so Viola was, she was right there because she, she was sort of a born player. And uh, always playing games and finding games and making games. And so she had, the, so when she went out to work with different groups, um, after her her work with Neva Boyd, um, she, at that time, she was also getting herself theater training. Uh, she went to, um, well, she had kids very young, to interrupt myself a bit. She had uh, her, her son, Paul, we haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> I, I know. We she can't. Might... Not only did your grandmother invent an entire discipline, your father, Paul Sills, invented a genre. More than one, actually. Okay. <laughs> but he's he story theater as well, right? The uh, But, you know, he's the founding director of the Second City That's and right. uh, uh, Playwrights Theater and Compass. But she had Paul very, very young. She got married and had Paul and then her younger son, Bill, um, very, very young and also got divorced young. And so she was she had these two young boys. She was working as a social worker. 
um, when she could, because she was taking care of the boys. Um, but and she still managed to get herself uh, to DePaul's night school and to the Goodman Theater, mm. um, and also to New York to study with the group theater uh, in the 1930s. Um, to do all of that to to get a real training um, in the theater, um, it's pretty remarkable actually yeah. <laughs> when you when you think about it. Um, that she was able to do all that, and then so um, when she was working with as a social worker and teaching, working with groups and teaching them dramatics, it was all of those things that was going into her realizing that she needed a new way to teach um, everyday people the theater, and that what she learned from Neva Boyd, the games, was was what helped her do that, and so she created theater games whenever she had a problem that she needed to communicate. Um, to her, to her players. So there was something intuitive that she understood that a, a a better way to communicate is not through a lecture or a set of rules, but through play. Yeah, the 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 play actually just setting up a game and having people learn experientially that way actually cuts out the need for lectures entirely. So she she actually called her system a nonverbal system. Uh, uh, <laughs> right um, of theater training because you don't you don't even need to talk about it when everyone has learned through play they've had the experience in their body of and so each one of her theater games has an acting problem that the player sort of solves through the play and then they come to understand without any help from anybody really they learn for themselves the needs of the theater that and the, and the needs of the theater are essentially about communication. That's so interesting because we're having this conversation both in the U.S. and the U.K. about how uh, acting training is becoming prohibitively expensive and only the well-off and the posh can afford this. And yet Viola's work from the very beginning was from the ground up, you might say, everyday everyday folks, working class, ordinary people. Um, Yeah. uh, and, And that training is still... That training still gives actors who use it today, ownership of the material. Again, it's not top-down, it's bottom-up. It's self-generated, self-created. Democratic. Democratic. play is democratic, (laughs) right? Yeah. And what's interesting, so that doing that, her work actually um, became really the the sort of roots of um, the ensemble and devised theater movement. Um, or one of the one of the branches of that tree that are very important though, because basically through playing theater games you learn to create theater without a director without a writer it's very egalitarian um, and it, it sort of broke down traditional theater structures it's an anyone can do it kind of thing which is pretty radical yeah still I think. Rachel Dratch, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. 
In the first half of 2020, we'll be performing the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged, revised in Patchogue, New York, next week on January 24th, on March 6th in Arcata, California, and on May 16th in Lynchburg, Virginia. We'll perform Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, twice in March, on March 19th at Washington and Lee College in Pennsylvania, and in our home away from home at the center stage in Western Virginia on March 21st, and we'll perform the complete history of comedy abridged in Clinton Township, Michigan on Valentine's Day, on April 17th and 18th at the University of Wisconsin in Whitewater and the Fermilab in Batavia, Illinois. And then we'll kick off the summer with two weeks of performances of the comedy show at the Hartford Stage Company in Connecticut in June. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Aretha Sills talking about two theatrical pioneers who also happen to be her grandmother and father, Viola Spolin and Paul Sills. Then, when Paul Sills was creating the Compass Players in Second City, he brought Viola in to help train these new actors, right? And so her work became, started coming, I guess, her, her work left the neighborhoods a little bit and got yes. into larger spaces. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Viola said Paul took her work to the world, right? Mm. Um, because he began using it in a professional capacity. But what you need to understand about Paul is that this kid was raised in it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she would have um, her her girlfriends over to the house to play games when she couldn't work, and, and they'd prop the baby up on the bed to watch. And so he, <laughs> that's how he grew up. And then those photos of him, you know, he was a member of her companies as as an eight-year-old going around playing theater games, touring different schools, and all in, in Hull House productions. He never knew any other way to work. And he grew up as the most driven theatrical person. I mean, you, I, I mean, uh, I don't mean to say driven to be in the theater, uh, driven to to live in the theater, I should say, was um, that I've certainly ever encountered. It was in his bones. And um, it was literally the most important thing to him. And and he he used he would be training his groups in her method, and then he'd bring her in. Um, but so a lot of people, in a way, would would work with her method before understanding even who you know what it was that it had an an origin, a source, you know. Right. Uh, but he he was her great her greatest devotee, I think, and really um, took her work out into the world and showed, was the first to show what, what, what it could do. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you, too, because of what you said. People don't understand the origins of the work, and not only are the origins fascinating in and of themselves, it seems like it's important to, for everyone to recognize that Viola's work and and maybe coming from Neva Boyd, too, is is very gynocentric, <laughs> to, <laughs> to use a phrase. Um, you know, yeah. it's 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 driven by a so-called feminine way of working that is that is the foundation for much of the comedy and theater work that still exists here in the second decade of the twenty first century. Absolutely, I mean, it's a huge. It's it it, I mean, it can't be <laughs> said enough. 
that a woman created improvisational theater. And a woman had to. I mean, it wasn't uh, when you think about it, um, because it's about learning to work together as a group to create something entirely new. And it requires entirely new, an entirely new way of working. And that's why we're still using it right now to help people work out differences and um, be, be able to communicate across all different barriers of language or personality or whatever the case may be, to drop it yeah. <laughs> and come together. One of the things that I really work on with my groups as a teacher is her um, non-authoritarian teaching method, which I think is still incredibly radical and important. Um, for breaking down the authoritarian structures that we've all, you know, internalized to let and letting us be free enough to experience, free enough to play. And that's it. That's the teaching method. But it's hard in an authoritarian culture to do that. So um, I think that that has not been, you know, people right now are looking for ways to decolonize the classroom and all those things. I, I the women of the Viola emerged out of the progressive era, right? That the, the progressive education movement um, the, uh, of that time. Those were her teachers, like Neva Boyd, and the the women of Whole House. And I think, um, and also great educators like John Dewey, indirectly were her teachers. And I think uh, they believed in experiential education. And these ideas are very easy to dismiss in a, a patriarchal <laughs> culture. And yet they're just what we need right now to free ourselves from it. Right. And see our, and see everyone as equals and individuals. And, and it's the only way to play together. Um, so that's, um, that's my soapbox. I'm sorry. I'll step off it now. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Have you been a disappointment to your family and not gone into theater? <laughs> um, it took me a long time. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. I did eventually go into theater. I, I, it took me a long, long time. I wasn't, um, it wasn't something I was, uh, born to do, let's just say. Um, but, uh, I did know early on that I, you know, I was raised in the theater. I was raised in rehearsal. They didn't, um, we, they didn't always have babysitters. We were, the kids were part of the mix. It's, it's almost like a political statement in a way, yeah. <laughs> um, because that way my mother was in the mix. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like she, she was in rehearsal. So we were in rehearsal and it wasn't, it's, um, it's all related and connected. But so I was raised in this theater, but I went on to do my own thing. I, um, I worked in the music industry and I'm a writer. Um, but I studied with my dad a lot and, um, took a lot of, and I learned through playing, which is how you do. I, I took a lot of theater game workshops from childhood. And then when I was old enough to, with Paul. And so, um, I began teaching, um, sporadically in my early thirties and, and then over the last, you know, now I, it's all I do. Um, <laughs> and so it, it just, it did take me a while because I have other strange interests. <laughs> but um I felt the need I just felt the need to be I I I know I it became clear to me that not enough the people weren't hearing the story that that another 
another story came along that took over, um, you know, the, in the improv world about the origins of this work. And, um, I felt the need to, to be out there and doing pure school and improvisation. I think very often people feel the need to change it. Uh, I don't, I think she was a way ahead of most of us. <laughs> I really do. Uh, because the work that comes out of, you know, the workshop is so exciting and um, marvelous and strange and wonderful and endlessly renewing that I know that that's the case. Um, and it's not just about comedy, it's about the theater. Um, and so uh, just in the last 10 years, basically, I've become a full-time <laughs> teacher and I teach um, improvisation for writers merging those two things because I also have taught creative writing in the traditional way um, and for mindfulness and um, for teachers and all sorts of, you know, I'm very interested in using her work to generate new material and to help people create their own story, personal stories and characters. And so I do a lot of work like that. And now I have a show in Los Angeles Unified School District so we're playing theater games for kids and with kids, and that's really fun. And um, directing a story theater piece I wrote, which is a kind of hybrid thing, a written story theater piece. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. For more information about the work of the Spolin Sills family, Viola, Paul, and Aretha, go to violaspolin.org. Then send us your revolutionary teachings via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to misunderstood genus Matthew Croke, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Alan Lowe. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Rachel Dratch, another fairly successful alumna of both Second City and Saturday Night Live. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 684, 2,050 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. That's amazing. You are continuing the family work and and passing it on to new generations. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's a lucky family work to be in. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.